Let's open our Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 5. The chapters in John are, are very lengthy, and uh, you know there's a lot here. And so what I'd like to do is we looked at verses 1 through 15 uh, uh, two weeks ago. And it spoke of a, a, a man from um, in Jerusalem there at the Pool of Bethesda. We visit this site when we go to Israel. And we're planning on going next uh, March. So if you want to go, start praying. Start saving your money. <laughs> uh, but we go to this place. And uh, this man who was uh, lame for 13, or excuse me, 38 years, the Lord sees him and heals him. And because it was on the Sabbath, the religious leaders and the Jews at the time took offense to that because that he did a work on the Sabbath day. And, and Jesus really took them to task for this. And we see it in the other Gospels where Jesus, he does, he, he, he gets into them about this. And then later on, we know that this man, after he's healed, he, he sees Jesus in the temple and the Lord tells him, he says, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had told him to, to take up his bed and walk. To take up his bed and walk after he had been crippled for 38 years. Imagine that. And so it brings us to verse 16. And my hope is to get through the entire chapter this morning. But let's, let's look, read uh, verses 16 through 23. And we'll see how far we go here. It says, Now for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus, and they sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them and said, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but notice, he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even, the Son, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. And he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Father, we just thank you for this passage. And Lord, we ask that you just open our hearts to receive it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's go back to verse 16 there. It says, for this reason, for, for, for the reason of healing on the Sabbath, that, that Jesus, uh, that, that the Jews sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now, in Matthew 15, we know that the Jews had many laws and many rules. And, and isn't it true that whenever God gives a command, it, it, it's, it seems like man likes to take that rule or that law or that... Um, statute, whatever it is, and he likes to add to it. He can't just leave well enough alone. He can't just look at it and say, that's enough. In actuality, it really is enough because we, we prove that we can't even do the things he tells us. Is there anyone here who looks at the Ten Commandments and go, yep, done it, been there, got the t-shirt? 
None of us can say that we fulfill that. Even this very day, most of us, if not all of us, have sinned in some way and broken one of those commandments. And yet the Jews, they, they, and again, not to be too hard on them, but Jesus was hard on them because they took what was simple and they start building a, a, a whole doctrine around it and making their own rules and regulations. And that's really what we see in Matthew 15. Remember, it says, the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem, they came to Jesus saying, why do your disciples transgress, notice, the tradition of the elders? If you're transgressing the commandments of God, that's one thing. But they say, why do they transgress the tradition of elders? Well, who made you God? Why should I follow the traditions of man when the commandments of God are enough? Thank you very much. He said, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Oh, my goodness. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And isn't that true of us? You know, as, as, we, as we talk about the Jews here, and specifically the religious leaders, I find in myself this very same thing. And it's something that has to be resisted. It's something that has to be turned away from. Because we can, we can get self-righteous. We can get focused on all these things when God made it very simple. And honestly, the very simple thing I struggle with. So I don't need to add any more. Can you, do you follow me? And so now, you know, they followed the letter of the law, but notice they were disobedient to the spirit of the law. You did this on the Sabbath? How dare you? You broke God's law. And God's like, I made the law. And you know what? A man is more important. Is it really that big of a deal to heal somebody, to do good on the Sabbath? Wasn't the Sabbath made for man and not man for the Sabbath? But they were upset with him because he had done that. So they had, the Jews had turned his commandments into something they were never meant to be. And, um, and, and we know the scripture. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord over the Sabbath. Let me ask you something. Do you have a Sabbath? Do you have a time where you can rest, where you can worship, where you can get in the Word yourself, where you can spend time with your family, where you can rest your bodies and rest your minds? It's good for you to have a day off, you know. In our country, for most people, they enjoy two Sabbaths. Saturday and Sunday, right? The work week is usually Monday through Friday for most people, and you got Saturday and Sunday. In America, we get two Sabbaths. But do you take those days and, and rest? Do you seek to bless God on those days? Again, resting, spending time with him, worshiping him, spending time with your families. I don't know about you, but... In our country, I know that we work hard and we also play hard, don't we? Sometimes we have to go back to work to get some rest. 
But God established this model of resting and having a Sabbath back in Genesis. You know that after all the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished, after his creation, it says, on the, on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had done. And then God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it. He hallowed it, because in it he rested from all the work which he had created and made. And, and it was pertinent, it was necessary for us to do the same thing. And again, but the Jews had taken that to the nth degree. And now Jesus was under the microscope for healing a man on the Sabbath. And do you ever notice that Jesus doesn't, um, he does things according, he doesn't do things according to man's timetable. He does it according to his own timetable. There are at least five other times in the scripture that Jesus healed or did some miracle on the Sabbath on this holy day when they were supposed to just relax and enjoy. And I wonder if Jesus walked the earth today, he would frustrate all those who lead a legalistic life. He would frustrate them, just like he did. He frustrated them back then. Just following, straining at a gnat, but swallowing a camel. Looking at everything under the microscope, but missing, you know, not seeing the forest from the trees. You know, they, that's the way it was. But well, here's the thing. You cannot put God in a box. Has anybody tried to put God in a box? doesn't work very well, does it? We like to have things nicely and conformed and nicely uh, cut and put into nice little pigeonholes. We like that in our life, but life has a way of taking those boxes and those little places and throwing them out and saying, now what are you going to do? Isn't it true? Sarah experienced one this morning by waking up and finding that her grandmother had passed away. We like everything nice and neat, and sometimes things just happen to us, happen around us, and happen to us that we could have never have seen. But you can't put God in the box, and the way he does something today may be completely different than what he does a different day, but he never denies himself. He never goes against the spirit of his word. The spirit, not the letter so much, but the spirit. Because a letter of the law would say, do nothing on the Sabbath day. But Jesus said, there's a man who needs to be healed, and I'm going to heal him. I know it's the Sabbath. And again, if I were Jesus, I would only have healing services on, sun, on the Sabbath. Just to frustrate the religious leaders. But God can use, he can use anything. So Jesus, verse 17, back in our text, says, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Notice the, the Jews did not miss the fact that Jesus was speaking of the father as his father, thus equal with him. They knew very well what he was saying. And in saying so, he was signing his death warrant, because it wouldn't be long after this, as they began to hear, and they're like, no, that wasn't a mistake. He said, my father, not your father, not our father, but Jesus said, my father making himself equal. And he didn't make himself equal. He was equal. He didn't make himself that way. He was and is equal to the Father. And Jesus' work on earth was in tandem with the Father. It wasn't separate from him. Notice what it says in John 4.34. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And you remember that night before Jesus was wrongfully arrested and crucified, what did he say at that, at that, that, 
that last supper there in the upper room, he told his disciples, I have glorified you on the earth and I have finished the work which you have given me to do. He still had yet to go to the cross, but in his mind he had already done it. It was already a done deal. Everything was in motion. The pieces were in motion. The chess game was being played out and it was in very high-tuned And the Lord knew exactly what was happening next and why it was going to happen and when it was going to happen. And I love what it says in John 19. Jesus hanging on the cross. Knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. And then later on, as he would give up the ghosts, He said, it is finished. Jesus finished the work. And he always did those things that pleased the Father. He never did anything by himself and and for his own purposes. Everything was in line with the Father. And you know, don't you desire to live a life like that? Like, you know, I really don't want to do my own thing. I I, I do because I'm a sinner. But do you ever find yourself, Lord, I just just want to walk with you. And I don't, I don't want to be going off on a rabbit trail. I don't want to be going off and doing this and doing that. I really just, you know, and we can do that. We wake up and we say, Lord, help me. You know my frailty. I want to walk with you today. I don't want to walk according to my own knowledge and my own understanding. I want to walk with you. I want my life to mean something. And isn't it a joy when you're in the will of God? And you sense that on your life? Is there any greater feeling in the world? The world doesn't know that. In fact, many Christians don't know that secret. But there's a great peace. There's great blessings in obedience. It'll be very different from the world. And you may not be popular. You may not even be looked up to. No one may want to have you out for lunch or be your friend. Or maybe you have a couple friends. Hold on to them if you do. But he always did those things. And notice in verse 18, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he he not only broke the Sabbath, so he's got one strike against him, but he also said that God was his father making himself equal. Isn't this the pot calling the kettle black? (laughs) They're claiming to be righteous and holy, and now they look at Jesus, who really is righteous and holy, and they're telling him that he ought to be stoned because... He had made himself equal with the Father. Outwardly, they were trying to fulfill the rules, but inwardly, they were full of extortion and hypocrisy. What did Jesus tell them later on in in his ministry? He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which need indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So easy to clean up the outside. But the Lord is always interested more on what's on the inside because it's what comes from within that defiles a man. It's, what, it's, what, it's what's with, from within that grows and manifests itself into the practical things. Because if a man has evil in his heart, his life is going to be marked by evil deeds and evil thoughts and evil actions. But if the Spirit of God is in you, it's like a germ. It's like a, a seed that's in you that will manifest itself as it grows And it's going to make itself known. It's going to manifest itself in very practical, very real ways. 
And so don't be so concerned about your outward appearance. It's good to dress up and look nice. I mean, think of what would happen if we all just rolled out of bed and didn't even brush our teeth or take a shower. We just kind of roll in like we came from the campsite, you know. Praise the Lord. Looked like me a few days ago. But it's what, what's within. It's what's inside that's most important. But as you know, that the theme of this whole gospel is that these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Yes, he didn't make himself equal. He was. That was the whole point of this whole gospel, to show those things, to prove, if you will, to justify his claim of deity. Jesus is God, and the cults hate that. The Jehovah's Witnesses hate that. The Mormons hate that. Many hate that because no one has claimed to be God other than Jesus. Well, they've made the claims, but they can't back it up. See, Jesus can back it up. And he proved it by rising again from the grave for my sin and for your sin. He proved it. Many infallible proofs were done when Jesus rose from the grave and shouldn't they, as, as they were accusing him, you make yourself God, and, and they, were, they were upset with him, shouldn't they have been looking for the Messiah, seeing that the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament scriptures have been prophesying about his coming for hundreds of years? Shouldn't they have been looking? Where, where were they sleeping? Yes, business was good. They had everything, all their ducks in a row. Everything was lined up. The church was looking great. All the outside was looking great. The pews looked great. Everybody's looking, oh, how are you? I'm doing great, Agatha. How are you doing this morning? I'm great, Agnes. You know, everything looked fine. And yet inside death, inside death, what did Jesus say? Remember when he rode in on the donkey into Jerusalem the week before he would be crucified? He said, if you had known even you, especially in this year day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus held them accountable for that moment, for that moment. But why didn't they check and, and see if Jesus fit the bill, if, to see the scriptures? You know, what are the qualifications of Jesus of the Messiah that they had been prophesying about, that the prophets had been prophesying for, for hundreds of years. What are the qualifications? What are the hallmarks that they could have researched for themselves at that time? Because remember, the New Testament hadn't been written. All they had was the Old Testament. Think of that, because we're just going to look at the Old Testament scriptures this morning, and we're going to see, just looking at those, they should have known this was the one. They should have known. So what things should they have looked for? Well, there's, they knew that the Messiah would have to be born of a virgin. That he would be born in Bethlehem. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you be small among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you will come forth the king of kings. And he would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7.14, Behold, the virgin, the virgin, not a virgin, the virgin shall, will conceive and bear a son. And he would come from the line of Judah through King David. You remember the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Isaiah 9 verse 7. That he would come from the line of Judah. That he would be the branch 
that would come out of the dry ground from Jesse, David's father. That he would come up out of Egypt, prophesied by Hosea, and, and confirmed for us in Matthew chapter 2, verse 5. He would dwell in Galilee. He did. He dwelled in Nazareth with his father, Joseph, and his mother, Mary. He helped his father in the carpentry business. He was there until his father at some point had died. And now as Jesus' ministry begins, he sets up shop, in a sense, in Capernaum. Right there on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee. That's another place we visit. The Galilee of the Gentiles had seen a great light. They should have been looking for these things. He would also heal the lame and give sight to the blind and heal the brokenhearted. Isaiah speaks of those verses. He would be despised and rejected. Isaiah 53. He would be equal to God the Father. He would be equal to God the Father. Isaiah 9, verse 6, the one that we know so well, which we'll get into in just a moment. Deuteronomy 18, he was the prophet that would come. But we're going to focus on just that last star there, that last bullet, that Jesus would be equal with the Father. What did it say in Isaiah 9, verse 6? I love this. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. For unto us, 700 years before he would even be incarnate through the Virgin Mary, it says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. And underline this if you you have it open. (laughs) Mighty God. This child, this baby, mighty God, and it gets even better, everlasting father. Are you kidding me? This baby, this child, the everlasting father, that means that he's deity. Well, duh. It's what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. He's God. Oh, I love that. Love it. And what does it say in Deuteronomy? And again, these are just Old Testament scriptures. Where were they looking? Weren't they looking? You make yourself God. Well, I am God. Have you searched the scriptures and seen that those things are spoken of me? They should have. Was he born in Bethlehem? Was he born of the Virgin Mary? All they had to do was go back and look. Hey, did, was he, you were a virgin, right, Mary? Yeah, I never had any time with Joseph. Yeah, I was, was, the angel came to me and told me what happened and everything happened. I was born in Bethlehem. Yeah, I came out of uh, Egypt. We went down there because Herod was trying to kill me. And so my father and mother took me down there and he brought me back up to Nazareth. Came from Nazareth, I was, we were in the Galilees, in the Galilee region. Yeah, I fit all those things. Yeah, check mark, check mark, check mark. So what's your problem? <laughs> what does it say in Deuteronomy? I love this. Deuteronomy 18, 30, uh, 18 verse 15 talks about the prophet that would come. We'll look at this. Um, actually, let me just read it to you. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all that is desired of the Lord. In verse 17 it says, And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. He will, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whatever, whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. So this prophet that was spoken of in Deuteronomy is Jesus. It even confirms this in the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 22. Where, this, where that scripture was fulfilled. 
But what about an exodus? Remember when Moses was wandering around in the wilderness and he saw that burning fiery bush that wasn't consumed? That was the Lord Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnate visitation speaking to Moses. And Moses, you remember, what did he say? He says, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, Moses said to God in the fiery bush, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And he says, this is what you shall say to them. I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall speak to the children of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am. Now you know that even just in the book of John, we had seven I am statements. And this was no mistake. Again, they were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Jesus made those statements, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the true vine. He was equating himself to that burning bush experience. The one who said, I am, I am, I am. Jesus said, I am all of those things. I am equal. I am God in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't that what John said in the first chapter? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word is none other than Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, it says, There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And we know that phrase very well, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Who is that middle person? It's Jesus, the Logos, the Word of God. That's who he is. That's his name. In John... Chapter 10, now, you know, these are Old Testament scriptures. But even in John's gospel in chapter 10 and verse 30, it says, Jesus speaking, he says, I and my father are one. And the Jews took up stones again to stone him because he made himself equal with God, or so they thought. And Jesus said to them, many good works have I shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we don't stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. But in the latter part of that verse, or in that chapter, in verse 37, he says, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And therefore, again, they sought to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. So other than these references in John, everything was in the Old Testament. They had no excuse. No excuse whatsoever. What about after Jesus died? After his crucifixion and, and after his resurrection? Shouldn't they have checked that out too? <laughs> Didn't the scripture say that he would be crucified and killed? Psalm 22 tells us that he'd be, he'd be pierced. Before crucifixion was even invented by the Persians, it tells us a thousand years before Jesus was born that he would be crucified, that he'd be killed. In Isaiah 53, it tells us that. And Daniel 9, verse 26 tells us that he would be cut off. Not only that, but he would be killed for the sins of the world. Isaiah 53 tells us. And even that he would rise again. In Psalm 16, verse 10, 
They had no excuse. And what does it tell us in Philippians? Again, one of my favorite verses. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, which is the most horrifying death sentence to man at the time. The worst It would have been better just to be shot in the heart. Something quick. Ah, but not the Romans. If they really didn't like you, they could keep you on that cross for days. They could feed you and give you supports and just sit there and watch you suffer. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus, given him the name above, which is every name. Every name. He has the name above every name. Hallelujah. Amen. His name above all. Over everything. Over everyone. Is there anyone more incredible than Jesus? Is there any president? Is there any ex-president? No. No one compares. They are all human beings, but Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who loves you and loves me, the one who paid the price. Oh, do you love him? Do you love him? Do you know that he loves you more than you can possibly understand? The more I walk with him, the more I'm understanding more of his love for me, and it melts me more and more. Pretty soon I'm just going to be a puddle. Verse 19, back in our text now, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Notice the complete dependence upon the Father. He and the Father are one in heart. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater things than these that you may marvel For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but he has committed all judgment to the Son. He's committed all judgment to the Son. Do you know there's coming a time that after the rapture of the church and the tribulation period occurs, that at the end, and then the thousand-year reign of Christ, that at the end... Of that thousand year reign, there's going to be a great white throne judgment. And who's going to be seated on that throne? Jesus. God the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. What does it say in Revelation 20? It says, John says, I saw a great throne, a great white throne, and him who sat on it from whose face the whole earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And they're judged according to those books that tells us. And that death and hell are, were raised up and brought into this throne room. And they all were cast into the lake of fire. Everyone who was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, which is the eternal damnation. It's the last place you go. If you're not a believer... 
In Psalms 9, verse 7, it says that the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world. In what? In anger? Out of jealousy? (laughs) No, in righteousness. He will judge the world in righteousness, and he will administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. In Romans 2, it says, God will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life, listen to this, Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, what is their lot? It's indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul who does not or who does evil. So the Father judges no one, but he has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. See, we can't claim to be worshiping the Father if we reject Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people today who say, well, I, I, I worship God, I believe in God, but nah, not Jesus Christ. Well, you got a problem because the Bible tells us. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. He who hates me hates the Father, Jesus said. And John also wrote, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ Christ has both the Father and the Son. It is like a package deal. You can't just have... You, just, you can't just have the Father and say, well, I'll find another Messiah. No, it's his only means of salvation. You reject him and you got nothing. But if you receive him, then you receive him who sent him, and that is God the Father. That's the way it works. I don't make the rules. God makes the rules. And that's what he said. Do you believe it? Are you sharing that with your family and friends? Because many of them go to churches where they don't teach these things. Oh, so glad you're here. Have a, have a seat in the front row. We got some tea for you. And we got a, a game controller you can play with while you're waiting for the message. And, you know, uh, you know we don't want to offend anybody by talking about sin and judgment. And, you know, hey, you know what? That, that's part of the gospel. It's good news. Because first, there's bad news. I need to hear the bad news. That's why when we go out into the community next week and we, we begin doing that, we, we, we can't just tell them the good news. Yes, we do have to tell them the good news, but we have to tell them the bad news. And that's the hard part. Nobody likes to share that. I don't either. I'd much rather just talk about the glory and the blessings. But I have to tell them the truth. When I got saved, it was because somebody put the... <laughs> I was living in sin at the time, and this gentleman that I, that I knew, he put the finger right on it. The Holy Spirit did. He, he was reading from the Bible. You've heard me say this before. But it just crushed me. For the first time in my life, as he's reading about the sin that I was indulging in, he's reading it, and my, my heart's just breaking, realizing that I, I'm held accountable now. <laughs> and God spoke to me very clearly. I was on my way to hell that day, and God says, Bob, but you're on the highway to heaven now, Rob. Yeah. Yeah, amen. Are you on the highway to heaven? <laughs> Most of you are already there, so you don't have to worry. You're already confirmed. Your ticket has been stamped confirmed. But there are some of you who are playing games and you're not really sure. Make your calling and your election sure today. Don't be playing 
fancy and footloose with this kind of stuff. This is real. It's very important. And God loves you so much. He, he did everything for you. All we have to do is believe. You don't, have to, you don't have to do anything but believe. What did the Bible say? Someone asked him, Lord, what work must we do for eternal life? And he says, you have to do one thing. One work you have to do. That's to believe on the, on the Son. You believe on me whom God has sent. That's it. That's what you need to do. Is that so hard? Yeah, it is, actually. It's easy, but yet profound, because we have to come to an agreement. We have to acknowledge our own sinful nature. We have to do business with the inner man, and that's never easy, is it? Doing business with the inner man is the whole rub of the whole thing. We have to turn away from those things, and we have to embrace him and believe what he did for us. Amen? So verse 24 in our text, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you that he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. I am so glad that I've been passed from death to life. I know it, and I'm so glad because no one can take it away from me. No one. The government can't take it away from me. They can burn me at the stake, they can, they can hunt me down, they can do whatever they want, but they can't take that. Didn't Jesus say, don't fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill the body and also cast the soul into hell. Rather, fear him. So you can take this tent and do whatever you want with it. But as soon as I pass, I'm in, the, I'm in glory. That is the reality, that's the fact that you must know. And have the assurance of. You have to have the assurance. How are you going to survive in this world unless you have assurance of your salvation? The Bible teaches that you can have an assurance. Not an I hope so or maybe, I don't know. No, you can stand on the rooftop and scream it. Oh, may the God give us that boldness. No matter who's in front of us, we tell them the truth in love. And we can do it in love. Never be ashamed of Jesus. Never be ashamed of the gospel. Most assuredly, he says, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who will hear will live. And I believe Jesus is referring to those who are alive but they're spiritually dead. And then they hear his voice and they come to salvation. Because once a person dies, there is no second chance for that person to come to Christ. You make that decision now before your last breath on this earth in the flesh. And then there's, you live with that determination. You live with that decision. For as the Father has life in himself, Jesus said, so has he granted the Son to have life in himself. Didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? He is the life. And his spirit indwells in you if you're a child of God. And I'm so glad for that. Because left to myself, I would still be a mess. Remember, this, the Spirit of God the, is the earnest of our salvation. It's the down payment until he comes for us and redeems the rest of it. And when he comes in the rapture of the church, he redeems this body. He transforms it. And he takes it and he finishes the transaction. You're mine now in every sense of the word. Every sense of the word. You're mine. You're my bride what do you think about that? Yeah. What the God we had, everybody go, woo Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Believe me, when that, when that day happens, there's not going to be any, there's not gonna be any 
No. You're going to be stoked. You're going to be jazzed. You're going to be rising out of your sneakers. Leave the Air Jordans behind. I'm gone. I don't have any Air Jordans either, but they're really expensive. But just for the record, even if I had the money, I wouldn't get them because I'm very happy with my, uh, my dollar store sneaker things. But notice verse 27, he's given authority to Jesus to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. And Jesus said, do not marvel at this for the hour is coming which all who are in the graves, notice that, people who are already dead, they will hear his voice and they will come forth, notice, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Do you understand the resurrection of life is the rapture of the church? We could peel this onion a lot more, but for the sake of time, the resurrection of life is the rapture for you and I. That's what we await. But notice that he says there's a resurrection of condemnation. And we already looked at that verse, that passage in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, the great white throne judgment. All those who are dead outside of Christ and are basically in hell or in Hades, they will be brought before that great white throne judgment. They will stand, which means they will be given a new body, just like you and I will be given a new body. They too will be given a new body that can withstand eternity in torment and flame. And I tell you, that is really hard to say, folks. It is. It hurts to even talk like that. But it's the truth. Some are going to arise for the resurrection of life, you and the dead. What does it say in, in 1 Thessalonians? It tells us, right? The resurrection of life. He says, For this we say by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, when he comes for us in, from the clouds, not to step foot on the earth, but to meet us in the clouds, different from the second coming. The rapture is different from the second coming. But in the rapture, we meet him in the clouds. What does it say? That the Lord will, um, we say this by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are already dead or asleep. For the Lord himself, notice, will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And notice, the dead in Christ, all those believers who are in the church from the beginning of Pentecost, up until the end of the church age, they will rise and receive their new bodies and they will be with him. And then notice, and then we which who are alive and remain shall be caught up. We will be harpazoed. That's the Greek uh, verb there. It means to violently snatch up off the earth. It's where we get our word rapture. In the Latin Vulgate, that phrase is, tra is translated raptus or rapio. We will be raptured up, caught up together with them, to meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds, notice. And thus we shall ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. <laughs> I'm going to go around and just comfort, and comfort all you. Hey, you know, shake your hand. <laughs> Let's comfort one another with those words. Do you need comfort today? I do. I'll be honest with you. My heart has been broken for many months now. For various reasons, I so want the, the comfort of God, and he's been giving it to me. And I know many of you are hurting, many of you are worried, many of you are struggling, frustrated, angry. 
You're in good company. But there's also the resurrection of condemnation, otherwise known as the second death. We already looked at it in Revelation 20, so we don't need to go there. But they will be resurrected. So where are you going to spend your resurrection? Is it going to be in heaven with Almighty God or is it going to be in the lake of fire for eternity where Jesus said with his own lips where the worm dies not and where the flame doesn't quench? It's never quenched because that body that they're given will be able to withstand an eternity in that environment. Just as we will be able to stand in heaven in front of God who says he dwells in unapproachable light We need a new body to stand in front of his glory. For if I or you were to, to, if God was to manifest himself in all of his glory right here, every one of us would fall apart. Do you understand? (laughs) I mean, I like that thought. I like to think about that. I mean, we would just be incinerated. There'd be nothing left. Our teeth would just fall and hit the carpet. Everything else gone. No one can dwell in unapproachable light. Bah, but with a new body, we're going to stand before him or bow before him or lay, you know, prostrate before him and worship the great king. And boy, there'll be years, I'm sure, we're just going to be cleaning the carpets of heaven as our face is on the ground. No carpeting, it's all gold. I know that, but... Not the deep shag 70s rug, you know, the orange, you know, but... None of that in heaven. That was ungodly back then. I remember. I was just a young kid then. I was born in 69. But I remember my mom, we had that orange shag carpet. Man, it looked horrible. And then if you have a dog and a wet dog in the house, ooh, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, I transgress. Or I, I, uh, whatever. Yeah, I do. I transgress too. Jesus said in verse 30, I can uh, by, of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will but the will of the Father. Jesus always seeks those things. He always does those things that pleases the Father. When Jesus was in the garden, he said, If it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. Always a dependence. Are you dependent upon God or are you just doing your own thing? Are you a Christian and saying, Well, I can do whatever I want now. My ticket's stamped, I'm just going to live like hell and then hope for heaven. Well, if that's your attitude, your Christian experience is going to be very stunted. If that's your attitude, you don't understand God's love, and you certainly don't understand grace. The more I understand grace, the more it keeps me away from the flame. And the more I'm, I don't want to walk along the edge any longer, along the edge of the cliff, seeing how far I can get to the sinful things and not get burned. No, the person who understands grace stays way far away from that line and says, you know what, I don't even want to be anywhere near it. I don't want to even have it, I don't even want the smell of it on me. I want to stay away from it. How about you? Jesus said in John 8, he says, The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. I want to please him, don't you? The last section of this, of this chapter is called the fourfold witness. And it says, uh, if you've got a New King James Version Bible, it says the fourfold witness. And I'm going to show you what those four witnesses are. 
As you read the Bible, sometimes it can be a little difficult to discern these things, but hopefully it'll become a little clearer after we get through this. Notice in verse 31, it says, If I bear witness of myself, Jesus says, my witness is not true. See, Jesus didn't need to boast about himself or inject Fortune 500 you know, power words into his resume. Can you imagine seeing Jesus' resume? <laughs> At the time of creation, I spearheaded a campaign to create something out of nothing. Or upon the creation of man, I unilaterally forged new ground, forged new ground by developing the great plan of redemption. He could have wrote that. We know what his resume is. It's flawless. It's beautiful. He's almighty God. But this word witness is martyrio, which is a Greek word which literally means to testify, to be well reported of. It's, it's a witness, to bear witness, to affirm that one has seen or heard or experienced something or that he knows it because it was taught or by divine revelation or inspiration they received it. That's what it means. And so the same word, I want you to underline a few things in this passage this morning. I want you to look at verse 33. The same word, martyrio, is in verse 33. Notice where it says witness. Underline that word witness. That is this word. In verse 36, Look at the word, where, where, right after where it says, the works that I do. There's a word called witness. Underline that as well. In verse 37, underline the word testify. It's the same exact word. Finally, in verse 39, the same word, testify. Underline that word. This is the same word. And this is a tip-off. This tells us what these four different witnesses are. Because John the Baptist was one of those witnesses. You saw that in verse 33 because you underlined the word witness. The works that Jesus does. He says, the works that I do in verse 36. Though That's another witness. The second witness is the works that he does. You can underline that. And finally, in verse 37, God the Father is the other witness. And then the scriptures, the word of God, verse 39, is the fourth witness. These four bear witness of who Jesus is and what he has and will accomplish. John the Baptist, the works of Christ, God the Father, the word of God, the scriptures. Notice in verse 32, back in our text, it says, There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. And you have sent him. I'm sorry, you have sent to John, and he has borne witness. There's our word again that you underlined. He's the martyrio. He is the witness. John is the first witness. He was the forerunner, the ambassador, the one who would go before Christ, the herald, if you will. Jesus is coming. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's coming. He's Get ready. Get ready. He's coming. Verse 34, he says, I do not receive testimony from man, Jesus says, but I say these things that you may be saved. And he was, and he's speaking of John here, he says, he was that burning and shining lamp and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. What was John's witness? Well, just to summarize, you can read chapter one of John's gospel and it'll tell you, but let me just summarize what it is. That Jesus is the word of God. John said that he is the Logos, the one that we've been talking about. He's the word of God, and he made all things, and that Jesus is the light. He is the light of the world. And John will go on and say that Jesus would baptize with the Spirit and with fire. 
in a nutshell, and some other things, that's what he, that was his witness. But you can look at John chapter 1 and see that. But Jesus goes on in our text in verse 36, and he says, But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, notice, the very works that I do, they bear witness of me. Here's our second witness, the works that he does. And then the word witness, the martyrio, that my Father has sent me. So far, the works of Jesus that we've seen in this gospel anyway was the turning of water into wine, the healing of the nobleman's son, and certainly healing this paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. And there are many other things that are recorded, we know, in the other Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The saving of souls, the healing of those who are lame and blind, the casting out of demonic spirits, the healing the brokenhearted, bringing the dead back to life. I love what it says in John 20 verse 30, truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his, of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Many, many works that he did. And there were also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, not even the, li- the world could, wouldn't have enough libraries that could fill the volumes of what he did. The magnitude of what Jesus did. Jesus' works bear witness to him. And notice, here's our third witness, the Father. And the Father himself who sent me has testified. There's the same word, martyrio. The the translators translated it testify, but it's the same exact word. The Father has testified of Christ. And you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form because God is spirit. But when and how did the Father give witness to Jesus? We know that he did it at Jesus' baptism. We know that when he was transfigured there on the mountain and he saw Moses and Elijah, what did the voice come through at the baptism and at the transfiguration? What did the Lord, what did God the Father break through and say? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. He testified, he spoke as a witness. This is who my Son is. He is my son. He is equal with me in power and authority and glory. And certainly at Jesus' triumphal entry. Remember as he was going into the Jerusalem, he says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Back in our text, verse 38, but do not have... But you, he says, now Jesus here is speaking still to the Jews, and he says, you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent him you do not believe. What a horrible indictment. Can you imagine God saying you don't have the love of God abiding in you? I'd be like, oh God, help me. Help me. What do I do? I want, I want the love of God abiding in me. I want to believe. And would to God that those men had that heart. But they were jealous. They were envious of Jesus. He was bad for business. They were making lots of money. You, and here's the fourth witness, the scriptures. Underline the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which, here it is, underline it, testify. Martyrio. These are the things which testify of me. And we've already looked at many scriptures earlier that spoke of Jesus. Know what those are because people need to hear about it. 
They need to understand that thousands of years before Jesus was born, these things, and we, we've only covered a handful of them. There are many others. But you can find Jesus on every page, in every book. If you're looking hard enough, through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, every single page there is something pointing to him, pointing to him. In Psalm 40 it says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, my ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. And then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll or in the volume of the book it is written of me. See, it is all about Jesus. It's all about him. He says, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. And again, what an awful thing. And I do not receive honor from men, Jesus says, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. Ouch. That sounds awfully judgmental, Jesus. Well, let me tell you something. There is one. All judgment has been given to the Son. It would be wrong for me to say that to you because I don't know the motives of your heart. But do you think Jesus knows the motives of their hearts? He can see, they don't even know themselves. And Jesus can look at them and he can see right through them. He's got x-ray vision. He knows exactly what they're all about, their motive, what they're going to do, and whether or not they will accept him. He knows all of that. And they were supposed to be leaders, leading the children of Israel, guiding them in the worship and, and the teaching and the admonition of God. And yet they didn't know God. Jesus was always hard on those who claimed to be the teachers and the leaders. That's why there is a greater accountability for those who teach. That's why I'm very scared before I get up here. There's a, double, there's an, a, a great accountability. And yet they were missing the boat completely altogether. He says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you're going to receive. And I believe Jesus was talking about later on in history, when the, after the church is removed and the, and the tribulation period begins, in the middle of that tribulation, remember there's going to be a man of sin known as the Antichrist. The Jews are going to receive him because he's going to allow them to build their temple. He's going to work out some kind of political shenanigans to make them to allow them to build their temple. And they're ready. I've been to the Temple Institute in Jerusalem. You can see all the articles. They're ready. They got the clothing. They got the, the snuffers, the plates, all that stuff. It's ready to go for the temple, for the Antichrist. It's kind of weird to be looking at that stuff and going, I know how that's going to be used. Because that's the next temple that's going to be built, is the one for the Antichrist. But they will receive him but they still haven't received, many haven't received Christ as their Messiah. And I love when Jesus says, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. Jesus is not just an ambassador. He is Almighty God, but was he acting in a sense as an ambassador? Yes, but he's equal with God. You see, when our ambassador of the United States goes over to another country, that other country treats that ambassador to the United States as if they were the president of the United States. That's the authority that that person holds as an ambassador. It's all in you. 
They may not like you as a person, but they respect that you're the ambassador for the President of the United States. That's the way an ambassador works. And so words are very chosen very carefully because words mean something. When you say that you're going to put away your nuclear armaments, you're speaking to the president, even though you're speaking to his ambassador. You follow me? So Jesus is more than an ambassador, but he did come. How can you believe, he says, who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from, only, from the only God? There's only one God. Do not think that I shall accuse you to my father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. The first five books of Moses, how much of that, of, of the Pentateuch, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, how much of that speaks of Jesus? Quite a bit. Quite a bit. Either directly or indirectly. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus said the same thing in Nicodemus. Remember when he spoke to him? He said, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Boy, we're rascals, aren't we? Because we can relate to Nicodemus. How can I be born again? Can I crawl back into my mother's womb again? She wouldn't like that. Can't do it. Jesus is like, no, you need to be born from above, Nicodemus. The Spirit of God in you. Do you have the Spirit of God in you this morning? I pray that you do. Because only because of that are you a Christian. It tells us in the Gospels, or in Paul's letters, that if we don't have the Spirit of God in us, then we are none of His. Do you understand that? It doesn't matter how good of a person you claim to be, no matter what good thing you may do, if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you are not a Christian. How important then is it to receive the Spirit of God. And if you are born again, you know it. Things happen. Your life changes. You have desires that you never had before. When I got saved, I wanted to do nothing but read the Bible. I barely graduated from college because I, I got saved in my senior year, and I loved the Bible so much, I barely got through. I mean, I, 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 I did well, but my heart was not in it at all. I could have just walked away. All I wanted to do was read, read, read. And my eyes and my head was just blowing up. I'm like, I can't believe what I'm reading. I've heard about this all my life and I've never understood it. Now it's like in vibrant color in 3D all around me. And I'm like, oh my goodness. But the proof or the justification or ground of Jesus being God in the flesh and the Savior of the world, it is replete throughout the Bible, throughout the Scriptures. Do you believe it? Are you sharing it? Are you living it? Let's seek to live it out before everyone, our family, our friends. Amen? Let's stand together. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I know, Lord, there's some really challenging things here that we read this morning.
But Lord, I pray that you would confirm each one, Lord. I pray that there'd be nobody here who would be wondering, am I a child of God? Who is this Jesus? I pray that everyone would know beyond the shadow of a doubt, Lord, that your very spirit would just consume every single one of us, that you'd indwell every single one of us, Lord. That is your heart's desire, and that's certainly my heart desire, is that everyone, whether here in person or online, Lord, we would come to you, we give our hearts completely to you. We bring all of our hurt, all of our shame, all of our problems and lay them at your feet. Lord, you're so good to us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for the great promises that you've given. The great and precious promises. Lord, to you be the glory and the greatness and the power and the glory forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen. 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 See you tonight, Lord willing. God bless you.